This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 25th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. That big $700 billion bailout has cost us plenty. It possesses limited prospects for achieving its stated goals. It's a dramatic intervention in financial markets. It might even worsen economic conditions. But does the bailout even pass constitutional muster? Cato Institute Chairman Robert A. Levy says no. Every exercise of government power has to find a home within the Constitution. That's the very nature of the government that the framers established. It's a government of enumerated and delegated powers. And the Tenth Amendment tells us that if the power is not enumerated in the Constitution and not delegated to the national government, then the national government doesn't have that power. So you can look through the Constitution and you will not find anywhere within the Constitution the power to socialize a significant portion of our GDP, effectively um, injecting private capital into banks, insurance companies, uh, mortgage companies, and the like. This is beyond the pale. This is something that the framers never envisioned, and it is not within any power uh, that's set out in the Constitution. What have members of Congress or Paulson or President Bush themselves said about that? Have they even suggested that they... Well, have, they, have they even invoked the Constitution? It, it's more like what people like me suggest that they might have said if they had said something, because indeed they haven't said a thing. Constitutionality hasn't even uh, been on the radar screen. But what they might have said, although I reject the argument, but nonetheless to make the best case for them, they might have said that this is simply a matter of regulating interstate commerce. And it is true that within the Constitution there is an express power to regulate interstate commerce. But the purpose of the Commerce Clause was to cure the situation that arose during the time when we were under the Articles of Confederation. And that is that states were imposing tariffs and quotas on goods coming across state lines. It was to make trade regular that the framers decided that we needed a federal power to regulate interstate commerce. Well, it is not making trade regular to eliminate private risk, uh, to make it the case that whenever uh, profits are to be made, they go to the corporate sector and whatever losses occur, they are picked up by the taxpayers. This is not a matter of, of regulating interstate commerce. This is a matter of bailing out private investors who made mistakes. Why is the idea that this principle that they're operating under is unintelligible. Why is that relevant to the constitutional argument? <clears throat> there is within Article I of the Constitution a requirement, a provision that states all legislative power is vested in Congress. There was a reason for that provision. And the reason is, if we don't like the laws that are passed by the Congress, we can throw the bums out of office. That is to say, Congress is accountable to the voters, and the voters have recourse if Congress does something that we don't like. Well, suppose Congress passes some murky laws and nobody knows what they mean and passes then the uh, authority onto an executive or an administrative branch agency to fill in the details, to flush out that skeleton. Then we have not the legislature, but rather the executive branch uh, making laws. And we do not have any accountability and voters do not have any remedy. There are 320 of these alphabet agencies in Washington, D.C., either executive branch agencies or independent agencies. This is a case where the Congress has delegated virtually plenary power to an executive branch official, namely Secretary of the Treasury, Henry Paulson. What has the Supreme Court said about this sort of thing? 
It has said that Congress can do this, even though the Constitution says Congress cannot do it. It has said that Congress can do this as long as it lays down an intelligible principle by which the designee, in this case Henry Paulson, knows how to behave, can take acts that conform to the dictates of Congress. What is the intelligible principle underlying this bailout? There is none. Making things better is not an intelligible principle, and yet that is all that Congress has said to Henry Paulson. We are now having daily hearings trying to extract from Henry Paulson what it is he's going to do. After all, why hasn't Congress told him what he is to do? He is the official to implement the laws of Congress, not to tell Congress what he is about to undertake. Is there a constitutional way to achieve some of the uh, ends that uh, Congress well, wanted to achieve? I'm not sure about that. Uh, there is, um, uh, let me put it this way. There, there is a good reason to declare this process to be unconstitutional, even if there were no constitutional way to remedy the situation. Uh, the reasons are threefold. The first is that it sets up a burden for government to overcome, and that is government must convince us that what it is doing is absolutely essential, that there is indeed an emergency, that we don't have time to address the constitutionality, that we must take steps to keep the House from burning down. The burden is put on the federal government to make that showing. So that's one reason. A second reason is it sets up a presumption that we will stop doing this as soon as we possibly can, as soon as the so-called emergency is passed. And the third is it sets up another presumption that we will never do it again unless there is an absolutely compelling and essential need. So those are the three reasons for declaring unconstitutionality, even if indeed there's no remedy. Now, I say there may not be a remedy because we have a problem in constitutional law called standing. In order to bring a lawsuit, you have to show that you were particularly injured in a manner that's different from the injury suffered by other people. Taxpayers usually do not have standing. They cannot come to court and say, we want to file suit because we don't like the way our tax dollars are being spent, because that taxpayer's injury is likely to be no different than any other taxpayer. Try to imagine who it is that has a unique injury from the bailout. Uh, they're few and far between. And so there may not be very much in the way of litigation, but nonetheless, it is important that we declare the unconstitutionality of this bailout procedure. Robert A. Levy is the chairman of the Cato Institute and is co-author of the book, The Dirty Dozen. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.